Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're on our sixth story today, so we have one more left uh, in this series that we have been uh, doing, um, talking about hope, uh, seven stories of hope is what uh, we've called the uh, series. It's actually named after um, an, an approach uh, that someone came up with in, in Southern Baptist a few years ago to give people an opportunity to share your faith, and I hope you've been using it uh, to that end. Uh, in other words, you can come up to someone with any of these stories, and not just the ones we've been talking about, but any kind of story of hope in the New Testament, and, uh, and tell it in your own words. You know, you don't have to pull a Bible out and preach at them and beat them on the head with it and things like like that. You can actually come up to somebody, uh, raise a, a question. I mean, today you can come up to someone and and uh, say, hey, do, you, do you realize that people can actually follow Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? And then you can go and tell the story that we're going to have before us today. So I hope you're doing that because it, it's a little bit better approach, I think, or an open door to having a spiritual dialogue with someone uh, to tell them a story of hope because people are needing hope than it is to come up with some kind of negative way to lamb blast them uh, about their life. Instead, if we would share uh, hope with them. The uh, story we're looking at today, story of hope number six, actually going to be two stories uh, of two different people. Uh, that we're going to look at it, as I said a moment ago, as the hope of following Jesus. Uh, we're going to be in those verses that you can see in front of you. I may not read all of them because of the length of the verses, but we'll talk through them uh, kind of like last week. But uh, in this story, this hope of following Jesus, we're going to have, uh, first of all, the, the story uh, of the guy that we refer to a lot of times as the rich young ruler. Uh, the rich young ruler in uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 18 through 30. And uh, then we're going to talk about that wee little man that you used to sing about when you were a wee little yourself, uh, called Zacchaeus. And in this story we're looking at today, you're going to see two people who seem to have some type of interest in Jesus, and yet there's a radical difference in what happens uh, at the end of the story as far as how they really buy in to this thing of following Jesus. So I want you to get two main truths uh, down today in your mind, and then we'll have several little things to go underneath these truths. Here's truth number one. As we think about uh, the story of the rich young ruler, truth number one is is simply this. Uh, We need to be sure that following Jesus is more important to us than earthly riches, than earthly wealth. We need to be certain that following Jesus is more important. It must be more important than earthly treasures in our lives. Uh, Next slide, guys. Great. Next slide. Uh, John John had him distracted. uh, Following Jesus needs to be more important than earthly treasures. Than earthly treasures. We we learned that from the story of this... uh, of this guy that's referred to as the rich young ruler in Scripture. In these verses, we've got a young man come up and he starts asking Jesus about eternal life. He he said, what do I have to do in order to have eternal life? In other words, what do I have to do in order to go to heaven when I die? 
Uh, what is it that, that I, I need to do? Regrettably, uh, in this story, we're going to find out that earthly treasures seem to be more important to this young man than really eternal life itself or following after Jesus because of the decision that he makes. In this story, we're going to notice five things I want to bring up before us. We're going to talk about a warning, a hint, a problem, a question, in a promise. So here's our warning to begin with. Warning is simply this. Personal performance, if we're not careful, our own personal performance, the way we think we're serving God even, uh, can become like an earthly treasure to us. Something we value and something we hold on to, maybe instead of holding on to Jesus like we should. Look what we find in verse 18 through 21. Uh, and, and the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. So he comes up with this question to Jesus. Seems like maybe an honest, sincere question. And he asked Jesus specifically, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He addresses Jesus, though, differently than what would normally happen to rabbis. And most of the time they might come up and call him a teacher, but not good teacher. Because of the very reason that Jesus says. Now, now, Jesus saying this to him, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. That is not Jesus denying his deity. Instead, it's just Jesus making a point that he didn't need to be calling just other people good uh, like that. Because this young ruler didn't know for sure who Jesus was, didn't realize he was God in the flesh at this point in time. If he did, he'd been on his face before him, I think, instead of coming up and asking these kinds of questions uh, to him. Uh, and more than likely, Jesus being God in the flesh, and all through the New Testament, we'll see instances of it today, Jesus knows what's going on in our mind, doesn't he? He knows what's going on really in a person's heart. So Jesus might have viewed this as just empty flattery, like he's coming up trying to maybe earn some status with Jesus by coming up to him and saying, good teacher. So Jesus kind of flings that back at him and saying, you know, it's not anyone really good but God, which in fact that's who Jesus is. He was God in the flesh. And then in response to the question, Jesus starts giving out this list from the Ten Commandments. And he's quoting the part of the law that deals with human relationships. He's not getting all the law quoted, and there might be a reason for that that I'll say in a moment. But, but he says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness honor your father and your mother. It's interesting to me, before he gets to the part that says, do not covet, it's like this rich young ruler kind of jumps in, maybe and interrupts Jesus. See, covenant is a very dangerous thing. Covenant can lead to adultery. Covenant can lead to murder because of adultery. It can lead to stealing things from people. Uh, covenant can lead to you making your possessions more important to you than God even, which seems to be the problem of this rich young ruler. So here Jesus has given this list out. And to me, it kind of looks like before Jesus gets to the part of it that's found in Exodus 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet, maybe this young ruler jumps in all of a sudden and interrupts Jesus because he understands maybe where Jesus is getting ready to go in the conversation. Now, to add to the background of the rich young ruler, most theologians believe that means that he was a ruler, a rich young ruler at the synagogue. In other words, he would have known the Ten Commandments. It wasn't just somebody walking up to Jesus that didn't know anything about the Bible. 
He would have been someone that would have known a good bit about the Bible and could have quoted the Ten Commandments frontwards, backwards, and plus massive parts of, uh, of the Old Testament and things like that. So he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus is giving this list. And, and I wonder, you know, don't start your own denomination on this, but I wonder, it just maybe, as Jesus is giving this list, the rich young ruler, understanding thou shalt not covet, it is maybe on the way in this list because it's in the Ten Commandments that this rich young ruler is thinking to himself, no, Jesus, don't say that. After all, I love my stuff. I love my possessions. Don't go there. You see, he had this, this hidden sin maybe in his heart of coveting, of loving his possessions. He might not have done some of these other things. In fact, he claims, I've not done any of these things. I've obeyed the commandments that you just mentioned, Jesus, ever since I was born. So maybe that's true. Maybe he had never committed adultery. Maybe he had, had never murdered anyone or stolen anything or bore false witness. Maybe he had honored his father and his mother the best that he could. But he had a problem with coveting things. But the part I want you to grab right now, and we'll come back to this problem with coveting in, in a few moments is that this young ruler, because of the way he says this, he looks at Jesus and he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. Just maybe this rich young ruler had a prideful problem about his own performance. See, the warning for us, I, I told you we're talking about a warning right now, the warning for us is this, we need to be careful that we don't so value what we think we're doing for God or so value that we think we're living really, really good moral lives that in pride we turn our works into an earthly treasure that we hold on to instead of holding on to Jesus. Because as you'll see in the story, this rich young ruler walks away from Jesus and he's clinging to his possessions, but I think he's also clinging to his own personal pride of all the things that he said I've done since a, since a child. Not just a warning, but the second thing I want you to think about in this story of the rich young ruler is, is a hint. There's a hint there I think we can grab. Pretty serious hint, too. Here's the hint. Jesus knows what is really most important to you. There's no doubt in Jesus' mind what you really, really love. He knows without any doubt whatsoever what is the most important thing to you? When, when Jesus heard this, when the man said back to him, I've done all those things ever since I was a youth. Jesus said to him, because Jesus understood his heart and knew what his real problem was, Jesus heard this and he said, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard those things, when this rich young ruler heard those things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich, the Bible tells us. See, what is going on? Jesus knows this young man's heart. He knew where his issues were. He knew what the problem was. So Jesus hones in on the heart of the problem or the, the problem in this young man's heart. And he hones in on it and he says... You're still lacking something. You come to me asking about eternal life, you're still lacking something. Here's what you need to do. Go sell, what did he say? A little bit of it? What did he say? Go sell it all. And then give it to the poor. 
and then come and follow me. Now, now, the reason Jesus does that is that Jesus understands, He knows what is the most important thing in this young man's heart. It was not a surprise to Jesus when the man became sad and walked away. Because Jesus knew up front this rich young ruler loved his possessions. That's why Jesus brings up this issue and tells him to sell all that he has. And when he heard it, he became sad because he was extremely rich. So here's a hint for us. Jesus this morning knows without any doubt what's the most important thing in your life. He knows what's the most important thing in your heart. He knows what's the most important thing in my heart. He doesn't have to guess at it. He knows without any doubt what the most important thing is. And if there's something else that we're allowing to be in the place that only He's supposed to be in, He knows about it. If we're allowing someone to sit on the throne of our heart other than Jesus, He knows about it. If we're making our finances more important to us, or our job more important to us, or our hobbies more important to us, or whatever it might be. If we're making it more important to us than Jesus, He knows about it. So the hint is simply this. Jesus needs to be first. Not second in your life, not fifth in your life. Jesus needs to be first place in your life. Not your finances, not your possessions, but Jesus needs to be first. Amen? And by the way, just so you clearly understand this, that's the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus is not teaching, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and that would earn the man's salvation. You see, salvation is not of works. You understand that? Salvation is not of works so that no one can boast. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just saw something really comical. <laughs> They're carrying a baby out, and then somewhere along the, the way, the pacifier gets dropped, and it gets passed from three or four people. I'm thinking, are you guys sharing the pacifier? That's the way my mind works. I'm sorry. Oh, is that what it was? It's the, oh, you were holding the bunny rabbit instead. That was your possession this morning that you were clinging to. <laughs> But salvation is not of works. The Bible clearly teaches that, doesn't it? We can't work our way to heaven. So Jesus is telling this man, hey, do this, because that would be a work. Do this, and you'll go to heaven. That's not the point of it. The Bible clearly tells us several places, and I won't read them this morning, but here's some, some places for you to start. But in Galatians chapter 2, 21, chapter 3, 21 through 24, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we looked at it last week. All those say that salvation is not by works because we'd boast about it. What Jesus is doing here, he's not telling the man how to be saved. He's challenging the man to quit trusting in your finances, quit trusting in your money, quit trusting in your possessions, and instead trust in God. That's the challenge that he's giving. So the hint for us is we need to do the same thing. We need to be sure our trust is in God, not in anything else. There's also a problem I want you to see in this story of this rich young ruler. The problem is simply this, fallen earthly treasure instead of Jesus can be, in matter of fact, I probably should have put will be, very costly. Very costly. Jesus looked at him with sadness, said how difficult it is for those who have great wealth or wealth. When you read in the Greek, it kind of emphasizes the great. To enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel, think about the, how extreme this illustration is. 
For, for it's easier than a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, a, a problem exists in this man's story because he loved his possessions and his wealth so much he walked away from Jesus. If he ever changed his mind, we're not told in the Bible that he did. I'm betting probably that he didn't because Jesus is said with great sadness is watching him walk away. Jesus understood the opportunity that He'd given this young man. Jesus, once again, who knows all things, looks at this young man walking away with sadness. And then Jesus shatters the conventional wisdom of the day. That's a buzzword that people have been using in our culture for several years now, the conventional wisdom or the political correctness. I would to God Jesus would shatter it in our culture too. Because people want to live their lives based on conventional wisdom. In other words, what the majority of the people say instead of what God says. So here Jesus completely shatters conventional wisdom when He makes this statement about the camel. He makes this statement about rich people. Because in that day and time, the Jews, including the disciples, they thought that wealth was a sign of the blessings of God. In other words, in their mindset, they would have thought if someone had a lot of money and they were doing really, really well, that meant, hey, they're in a good position with God. And if anybody's going to go to heaven, a rich person would go to heaven because that's the way they viewed it. But Jesus blows that conventional wisdom out of the water because He says it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is to get a camel passed through the eye of a needle. Now, what does Jesus mean? Why is Jesus saying that? Why does He make a statement like that? Well, He's, he's, not, he's not doing it saying that having money or being wealthy is wrong. There are several characters in the Bible that were godly leaders following after God. Abraham, you know, had plenty of possessions. There's not anything... Solomon had plenty of possessions. There's not anything wrong with, with you owning stuff. The problem is this. The problem is the attitude that you have toward what you own. The attitude that you have toward your wealth, toward your finances. That's the problem here. In other words, if you love your wealth and your stuff more than you love God, that's a problem. That's what Jesus is pointing out in this young man's life. He, he's pointing out to this, this young man, you, you know, it's not, it's not the fact that you own possessions, but it's allowing possessions to own you. That's the issue that we need to understand from this story. Nothing wrong with you having stuff as long as the stuff is not your God and you don't allow the stuff to own your life and run your life and be what you worship in your life. You see, that's the problem with this young man because he worshiped it so much, it was so important to him that he walks away. And ironically, his attitude made him unable to keep the very first commandment since Jesus was talking about commandments. And this young man was glad that he'd been keeping a lot of those commandments. But his attitude toward finance and his possessions kept him from obeying the first commandment, which is this, you shall have no other gods before me. And the man had his possessions and what he owned and his wealth as a God before him. That's why Jesus used such an extreme illustration. The camel was 
probably one of the largest animals, unless an elephant were to come through, one of the largest elf, one of the largest animals that you'd see in the Middle East. The extreme illustration is this: the eye of a needle. You know how small that is. I can't hit it anymore at my age. I have to go get my reading glasses out or a magnifying glass. I have to be sure there's not anything frayed on the end of the thread that's going to keep it from going through. And I'm at this close to losing my cool by the time I get... I mean, honest, you sit there and you keep doing this, you get... Imagine how frustrated I'd be if I had to get a camel to go through it. That's the illustration that Jesus gives. He, he's saying it's really, really hard for someone that loves their money, that loves their possessions, it's really, really hard for that person to enter heaven because their problem is this. And the problem that we need to recognize is this also today. The problem for us to recognize out of this story is that making our lives all about chasing after earthly treasure can cause us to totally miss out on God's purpose, His plans, His best for our lives. It can even cause us to miss heaven itself if we love our possessions instead of loving Jesus instead of following Him there's also a question that we can raise or that gets raised in this in this story and the answer to this question by the way is God after the disciples hear what Jesus said once again He blew away their conventional wisdom Surely the rich man's going to go to heaven. God's blessed him. Is there a mentality? Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Thank God for that. Amen? See, the question being brought up is this. After Jesus makes that statement about the camel and rich people, the disciples and people standing there asking a question, maybe in panic, because all they believed about a rich person going to heaven, the foundation had just been knocked out from underneath them by the words of Jesus. He was challenging their worldview in that moment. Their worldview was rich people go to heaven because God's blessed them. So Jesus is challenging the worldview that they had. And because of that, all of a sudden, the entrance way to heaven seemed really impossible to them because of the rich person that they thought God was blessing can't go to heaven, then who in the world can? You understand their mindset? And that's when Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. The answer to being able to enter heaven is God. Not you. Not what you own. The answer to the question of salvation is God. Matter of fact, pretty much the answer to anything, any issue, anything you're facing in your life would be God or Jesus. Amen? To add a little bit more teeth to that, look at what's said in, in Ephesians about God being our answer. 
Paul's writing and he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. That's, that's where we used to be without Jesus, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's our past. That's where we were, all of us. But then in verse 4 it says, But God. Leave the verses up there. I'll finish reading them in just a moment. But uh, Kenneth Ridings, many of you have heard Kenneth Ridings uh, preach before. Uh, uh, Kenneth, um, I'm trying to remember if Kenneth has passed away now. Kenneth came down with, with uh, Alzheimer's really, really bad. And uh, man, he was like a prince of preachers, uh, you know, not just around North Carolina, but across uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. I had the opportunity to hear him preach multiple times uh, when I was... Uh, uh, after I'd been called into the ministry and had him to come preach revivals for us. And he was just someone that you know, would preach in such a way and he could uh, uh, alliterate everything in such a way. You thought, man, I, I want to be like him. I want to be able to preach like he preaches and, and, and things like that. Well, we were at a Bible conference one time uh, years ago and uh, he, uh, he got to this part about it being far better. He's preaching out of Philippians. Uh, and he stopped and camped out on that word for a minute. And he said, Glory, did you see that word? Far better. You know, you, you can't, you, you, it's something you can't fully define. The word far. Jessica was about this tall. And uh, she was sitting beside of us, the only child we had at the time. And she said it so loud, it came out over the audio tape of the sermon. And we we're about halfway back through. She thought evidently Kenneth wanted everybody to repeat the word far. And Jessica yells out, Far! I heard it on the sermon later when I got the tape. Gus Kenneth focused in on that word. Well, he, he was preaching at a camp meeting in Mississippi. I wasn't there, but I heard him tell the story about it later. And he was preaching this text here, and he had waxed eloquently about how bad we were, how sinful we were. Then he gets to verse 4, and he says, But God, and he keeps focusing on that word, But God, and some old guy up in the choir behind him all of a sudden jumps over the rail. It was an outside camp meeting. Runs out into wherever, you know, uh, yeah, I didn't into the woods, a shout and yelling, and even goes out and jumps down in a mud puddle and flops around. <laughs> Pastor over the camp meeting went and looked, and he said, I, I started to tell him to get up and don't do that. You know, he thought that was completely undignified. And then he thought, but God can make you do a lot of stuff. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, in trespasses, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're a Christian, God is so sure that you're going to go to heaven because of your faith in Jesus and because of His great grace, He views it as though you're in heaven right now with Jesus. Man, I love that thought, don't you? So that in the coming ages He may might show to us the, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The question was this, who in the world can be saved then? And Jesus said, it might seem impossible 
to you. And when I look at my life, I can understand it would seem impossible to me. And if you look at your own life, you can say, I can see how it could be impossible for, for me too. And if you listen to the news, you can say, how in the world can any man be saved because of all that's taking place in our world and all the crime and all the sin that's out there. But thank God, Jesus said, what seems impossible with men is possible with God. And the answer to the question, who can be saved for us, is still the same answer. It's that Jesus is the answer. The answer has been provided by God Himself. Jesus made a way through coming and dying on the cross. God made a way through His Son. And the answer to almost any question or problem you have in your life is God. Like I said a moment ago. There's also a promise in this story of the rich young ruler. Because on the other side of all this, Peter raises a question. See, Peter's standing there watching and Jesus tells this rich young ruler, go sell everything that you have and leave all that all behind and come and follow Jesus. And Peter's sitting there thinking, hmm, that's what I've done pretty much. I've left my vocation. I've left my family. That's what these other disciples have done. We, we've walked away from everything to follow Jesus. He said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time. In other words, in this life. It's not just when you go to heaven, but you receive many times more in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. There's a promise here. The promise is simply this. If we'll follow Jesus instead of following earthly treasure, we'll discover it's worthwhile. Our culture, our world is bought into chasing the almighty dollar. They think that is what is worthwhile. But Jesus says the opposite. He says, if you'll chase after me, if you'll follow after me, it will be worthwhile. Not just that you'll go to heaven and have eternal life. That's the focus that too many people have. I believe in Jesus and I'll go to heaven. That's not all that Jesus said. He said, if you'll come and follow me, he said that you'll have a better life now in this time and also in eternal life. So based on the words of Jesus, and I'm thinking he knows more what he's talking about than anybody else, than you or I or anyone else, based on the words of Jesus, and we can say this, following Jesus is the best thing you can do in this life, and it will be the best thing for you in this life, and you'll get more out of it in this life than you will live in this life without Jesus, and you get eternal life in the end of it. So we get a promise made to us here. The promise for us is living for Jesus instead of earthly treasure is eternally worthwhile. Our first part of the story this morning is this. There's this young man that's interested seemingly in eternal life and interested in Jesus and he comes up to Jesus and he asks him, what's the most important thing? What else do I need to do in order that I can have eternal life? And Jesus told him and he didn't like the answer so instead he walks away. So we need to learn that lesson. Following Jesus must be more important to us than earthly treasures. The second character in the story, the second part of the story is a man by the name of Zacchaeus that wee little man I joked about earlier. 
The first part of the story, this rich young ruler walks away instead of following Jesus. But then as we finish out this story of hope, we find another rich man. He was rich from defrauding people because he was a tax collector and he would take more than he should and skim it off for himself. But even though this man is also rich, like the rich young ruler was rich, we find a different outcome from meeting Jesus is in this story than in the rich man's story. The second main thing I want you to get in this story today is, is this. Jesus came to seek followers. We're talking about the hope of following Jesus. One man had the opportunity to. He walked away because he loved his riches. But we can learn from this story of Zacchaeus that Jesus literally came into this world to seek followers. We don't know for sure why. A lot of people have guessed and tried to surmise why in the world Zacchaeus was so interested in trying to see Jesus. No one knows for sure. Maybe he had heard stories about the miracles that Jesus had performed as he was out collecting taxes. I heard a full sermon on it one year at uh, the pastor's conference for the State Baptist Convention where this pastor out of Tennessee uh, talked about it. And he told stories about how Zacchaeus went around trying to collect taxes and people couldn't pay their taxes because their you know, uh, daughter had died or son had died or the woman was sick with an issue of blood or her husband's crazy up in the cemetery running around cutting himself. And he says, I'll come back and check on getting the money from you later. And on the way back around, all of a sudden he discovers this man is fully sane now that was crazy and cutting himself up in the, in the cemetery. And, and this woman has her son that's now alive and this woman that had the issue of blood all that's taken care of uh, it was just a neat story it's not you know something you can draw from the bible but i'm just saying for some reason zacchaeus wanted to see jesus i think he was bound to have heard some of the stories Maybe he had just heard the story because in Luke 18, verse 42 and 43, a blind man had just been healed at the gates of the city. I'm supposing that news gets around. Maybe he had just heard about the blind man being healed. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. Maybe Matthew had been trying to witness to him, tell him about Jesus. Tell him, hey, there, there's this rabbi in the area that will actually let a sinner hang out with him because the others wouldn't. But for whatever the reason is, he wants to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus does something that's not normal or culturally accepted in that day. In that day, grown men would not run. In that day, grown men would not act like giddy little children and go climb up in trees. Especially men of status like this wealthy man. And yet when he hears Jesus is coming through, he runs trying to get to see Him. And he climbs up in a tree to where he can see Him. He's doing things that normally wouldn't happen. So for some reason, Zacchaeus is really motivated to seeing Jesus. And I want to bring up three issues, three main issues today for you, and then we'll close. First issue is a question. Where are you hiding? Where are you hiding? Because the Bible tells us as Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, that man by the name of Zacchaeus 
which by the way, if you look at the bottom of the screen, his name means righteous one. He had not been living very righteous because he had been stealing things and, and working for the Roman government and things like that. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was rich because he'd been taking money for himself. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I would submit to you that Zacchaeus was in small stature, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. He probably had a guilt complex because he knew what he was doing was wrong. He was Jewish. He'd been raised and taught the right thing. He'd been taught, thou shalt not steal. And yet, that's what he's doing. So he was probably thinking of himself as small spiritually because of his own activity. He would have felt small emotionally because of his status as a tax collector. All the rest of the Jews hated his guts because he was working for the Roman Empire. So whether he was short or not trying to get through the crowd, they probably would have stood there huffed up thinking, we're not letting you through. You're a tax collector with the Roman government. But he was also small of stature physically, so he can't get through. He's wanting to try and see Jesus, so he runs and he climbs up in a tree. But once again, the question today is personal for you. Zacchaeus was hiding in a sycamore tree. Where are you hiding? Because today you may feel that you are small spiritually also because of your own activity in your life and because of the, the sin in your life, you, you're trying to hide somewhere. You may be someone that feels like you're small emotionally, maybe because of the way people have treated you. Maybe you feel like an outcast, like Zacchaeus would have felt like an outcast from his own people. You may be here this morning and you feel like you're of little stature emotionally, and because you feel like other people have so treated you and so looked down on you, instead of trying to be in the limelight at all, all you do is hide out. Where are you hiding today? Are you trying to hide from the presence of people today? Are you trying to hide because of, of your own stature in some way in your life? Where are you hiding today? Second issue here in the story of Zacchaeus is not just where are you hiding. The second issue is this. Jesus knows where you are and He knows who you are. He knows where you are and He knows who you are. The Bible says when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and He said to him, Zacchaeus. Bible doesn't say if someone came over and said, will you look at that little tax collector up in the tree? The Bible doesn't say if someone came over and said, Jesus, this is Zacchaeus. Jesus, God in the flesh, knew where He was. He knew Him by name. And He walks over and He looks up in the tree and He calls to Him, Zacchaeus, and he said, you need to come down because I'm going to go home with you today. And in a similar way, no matter where you are in your life, how you're trying to hide out in your life from God, what you're facing in your life, where you are emotionally, spiritually, or physically in your life, Jesus knows exactly where you are, and He knows you by name. He knows you intimately by name, and He loves you. So 
It's awesome this this story that we're looking at Zacchaeus, not just where you hide and not you understanding that Jesus knows where and 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 who you are. But I want you to know this: Jesus has an invitation for you. Jesus has an invitation for you. First of all, He has an invitation of fellowship for you. An invitation of fellowship. Zacchaeus, He says, hurry and come down for I'm going to stay at your house today. Zacchaeus couldn't believe what he was hearing because everybody else hated him. He's a tax collector. They didn't want to hang out with him. No one else in the crowd that day would have gone home with him. The religious crowd wouldn't have gone home with him. They would sooner die than been caught in Zacchaeus' home. So he heard and he came down and he received him joyfully. And then when the religious crowd saw it, they all grumbled saying he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a, a sinner. This hated, judged, looked down upon tax collector has the God of all the universe walk to the foot of the place that he's hiding and he calls him and he says, I want you to come down. Here is an invitation to you, Zacchaeus. Come down because I want to go home with you. And that's a pretty good invitation, isn't it? Some of you were to be somewhere in some movie star walked up and said, I'm so-and-so, maybe your favorite movie star, your favorite sports hero, and, and say, I, I, I want to go and, and, and hang out with you. You'd, you'd just get all giddy about it. Levi had the chance. He won the chance a few weeks back to go and, and uh, hang out with one of the linebackers for the Panthers and everything like that. And then I, I didn't get to go, but he brought me a signed picture of him, and I got giddy about that. He didn't come home with him. He had to go see him, but you can imagine how you'd have felt if he said, hey, I'm going to come home with you. Think about this. The God of all the universe walks to where Zacchaeus is and he said, come down because I want to go home with you. I hated sinner. But remember, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek followers. That's what we're talking about right now. Jesus longs for fellowship with you. Jesus wants to hang out with you. Jesus loves for you to sit down and take your Bible and open it and let Him speak to your heart. And He longs for you to speak to Him in prayer. Jesus longs to have fellowship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus wants to go home with you today. Don't come to church just to experience Jesus here and then leave from here and don't give Him any thought until next Sunday. Jesus wants to go from here to wherever you are, to your house or wherever, because if you're an authentic believer, He's in your heart, He's in your life, He's with you always. How about recognizing that He's there? How would some best friend feel like in your life if you had a best friend in your life and, and he hung out with you all the time, but you never talked to him, you never recognized him, except maybe one day a week? Would he really feel like he was important to you? And yet that's the way we treat Jesus many times. Jesus wants your whole life to fellowship with you, not just Sunday mornings. He's got an invitation for you, an invitation of fellowship. So will you take Jesus home with you today? There's also an invitation of life change in this story. Zacchaeus stood 
and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Meeting Jesus had such an instant impact on the life of Zacchaeus that he displayed a definite life change. What had he been doing? Stealing, skimming off the top. What does he say now after he meets Jesus? I repent of it, and anything that I've kept I shouldn't keep, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Which, by the way, was way beyond what the law required. He was so tickled about meeting Jesus, he didn't care about trying to minimize what he owed or anything else. He just said, hey, I'm going to go way beyond what I need to do. I'm going to repay everybody what I owe them. He displayed a definite life change in his life after he met Jesus. So let me ask you this. Have you experienced a life change since you met Jesus? If not, you might need to be concerned about what type of faith you really have. And he also gives an invitation of salvation. Because Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house. Since He is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is standing there talking to Zacchaeus. Some others probably, it seems like, of that self-righteous crowd is standing around saying, how dare Jesus go to the house of a sinner? And Jesus said to him, salvation's come to your house. And he said, He's also a son of Abraham. I think maybe Jesus throws that in for the religious crowd standing around looking down on Zacchaeus saying, hey, he's as much of the same bloodline as you are. He's as much as a Jew as you are. But the real issue now is this. Zacchaeus is not just the son of Abraham now because of his heritage, his lineage. He's now a son of Abraham by faith. The same way that you and I become the children of Abraham, the sons of Abraham, kin to Abraham, by faith in Jesus, we're redeemed. Gentiles redeemed. Jews redeemed. All becoming authentically the children of God, the children the sons of Abraham by faith. And then Jesus makes this wonderful statement, not just wonderful for Zacchaeus to hear, but for the others to hear, and even for us to hear this morning. Jesus said this, for the Son of Man, phrase he used to talk about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What we're talking about today is the hope of following Jesus. Maybe you're someone that thought you didn't really have that hope. Jesus says you do. Jesus didn't say, I come to seek good people and find good people. And the people that think they're okay and the people that think they're already righteous by their own performance and their own goods, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Man, what great hope we have of following Jesus because Jesus tells us that's the purpose of Him coming. Pay, pay close attention to His words. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save lost sinners. The rich young ruler walked away from a sinner-seeking, sinner-saving Jesus because His money meant more to Him than eternal life. But another rich man by the name of Zacchaeus found eternal life and had a life change that day. 
He's accepted by Jesus. Jesus came looking for him. Literally went looking for him. Found him. Looked up in the tree. Called him by name. That's how specific he came looking for Zacchaeus. And the same Jesus is looking for you in the same way. Wherever you are, wherever you're hiding. In our story of hope of following Jesus today, can I ask you something? Do you identify yourself more with a rich young ruler? Is what you own, your possessions, more important to you than Jesus? Or do you identify yourself with Zacchaeus? Because you see, Jesus longs for you to fellowship with Him. Even if you're a believer already, you might not be fellowshipping with Him as you should. Devotionally in your homes, praying to Him, reading your Bible. Jesus longs for fellowship with you. He's got an invitation to you. I want to go home with you. He's got an invitation to you. Let me change your life. Experience life change by meeting me. And He's got an invitation for you of salvation. Because He came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we chase after the things of the world. Forgive us when we make earthly treasure more important to us than You, than Jesus. Well, there are many people in the world today that are holding more to their possessions and they make their possessions and their wealth and their bank accounts more important to them than You. Father, I pray You break in upon their hearts and You help them to see the opportunity that they have to follow You and help them to put You first. Father, help all of us to be more like Zacchaeus. Help us to joyfully welcome Your presence, to joyfully desire fellowship with You. Father, help us to display changed lives because we've met You. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ right now, I ask You to give the invitation to their heart in life that You came to seek and save the lost. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.